Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. The number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. <clears throat> and uh, yes, I can hear it. My voice is starting to fail me. I can, I, like I did, I spent the last five days sick um, and I didn't do a lot of talking at all. So I, I maybe I should have, I should have done some warmups, you know, should have kind of got back in like a little, little training camp action. <clears throat> Maybe just t- start talking for like, you know, five minute segments at a time. She sells seashells by the seashore, stuff like that. Place a complicated dinner order or something. Yeah, for, like, there to you pick go. Up. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. God, I didn't think this through. I'm feeling a lot better, though. Thank you. Thank you. Um, real quick message from Russ regarding progressives, leftists, Marxists, hating on Thanksgiving because it's antithetical to their ideology. You can't be grateful and envious at the same time. Grateful people don't want to hear it, uh, don't want to tear it all down. Grateful people don't want someone else to be punished in order to make them feel better. Very astute, Russ. Very astute indeed. Maddie Friedman at tabletmagazine.com. He has a a piece called Journalistic Duty in Israel-Palestine News. He says, I wish I could say that this is a very lengthy piece. I'm going to give you the the highlights of it. But there's a lot of stuff in here from his experience that I think it's going to um, confirm or will open eyes to the way this story gets reported. He says, I wish I could say the tragedy of their deaths or the deaths of Israel's soldiers are going to change anything in this war that they mark a turning point, but they don't. This round was not the first in the Arab wars with Israel and will not be the last. The Israeli campaign was little different in its execution from any other waged by a Western army against a similar enemy in recent years, except for the most immediate nature of the threat to a country's own population and the greater exertions, however futile, to avoid civilian deaths. The lasting importance lies in the way the war has been described and responded to abroad. And the way this has laid bare the resurgence of an old, twisted pattern of thought and its migration from the margins to the mainstream of Western discourse. Namely, a hostile obsession with Jews. The key to understanding this resurgence is not to be found among jihadi webmasters, basement-dwelling conspiracy theorists, or even radical activists. It is instead to be found first among the educated and respectable people who populate the international news industry. Decent people, many of them, and some of them my former colleagues. While global mania about Israeli actions has come to be taken for granted, it's actually the result of decisions made by individual human beings in positions of responsibility, in this case journalists and editors, The world is not responding to events in this country, but rather to the description of these events by news organizations. 
The key to understanding the strange nature of the response is thus to be found in the practice of journalism and specifically in a severe malfunction that is occurring in that profession, my profession here in Israel, he says. In this essay, I will try to bring uh, uh, to provide a few tools to make sense of the news from Israel. I acquired these tools as an insider. From 2006 until the end of 2011, I was a reporter and an editor in the Jerusalem Bureau of the Associated Press, one of the world's two biggest news providers. I have lived in Israel since 1995, and I've been reporting on it since 1997. Okay, So this is the Associated Press's chief editor in the Jerusalem Bureau. Number one, how important is the Israeli story? Staffing is the best measure of the importance of a story to a particular news organization. Okay, When I was a correspondent at the AP, the agency had more than 40 staffers covering Israel and the Palestinian territories. That was more news staff, significantly more than the AP had in China, Russia, India, in all of the 50 countries of sub-Saharan Africa combined. It was higher than the total number of news-gathering employees in all the countries where the uprisings of the Arab Spring eventually erupted. Forty staffers just on Israel-Palestine. To offer a sense of scale, before the outbreak of the civil war in Syria, the permanent AP presence in that country consisted of a single regime-approved stringer. You know what stringer is? It's a... you're not, you're, you're like an independent contractor. You'll go out and cover stories and sell the story on, like on an individual basis to the, to the outlet. <clears throat> the volume of press coverage that results, even when little is going on, gives the conflict a prominence compared to which its actual human toll is pretty small. In all of 2013, for example, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict claimed, do you know how many lives? Ten years ago? Forty-two. <clears throat> that is roughly the monthly homicide rate in the city of Chicago. Jerusalem, internationally renowned as a, uh, uh, renowned as a city of conflict, had slightly fewer violent deaths per capita last year than Portland, Oregon, one of America's safer cities. In contrast, in three years, the Syrian conflict has claimed an estimated 190,000 lives, or about 70,000 more than the number of people who have ever died in the Arab-Israeli conflict since it began a century ago. So why all the focus? Why all the focus if it, it, it's not as lethal and deadly as these other outbreaks of violence are in the very same neighborhood. I think I read in this piece, he says that it's a day's drive from Israel to Baghdad. Like, it's all the same neighborhood. News organizations have decided that this conflict, though, is more important than, say, 1,600 women murdered in Pakistan last year. Sorry, Pakistan. 271 of them were raped first. 193 of them then burned alive. Pakistan. The ongoing erasure of Tibet by the Chinese Communist Party. The carnage in Congo, 
more than 5 million dead as of 2012. Drug wars in Mexico, death toll from 2006 and 2012 is about 60,000. Let alone conflicts that nobody's ever even heard of in obscure corners of India or Thailand, right? Now, the AP, for one, as an example, believes Israel is the most important story, story on earth, or very close. What is important about the Israel story and what is not is the next question. You're working in the International Press Corps, you understand quickly that what's important is in this Israel-Palestinian story is Israel. <laughs> that's, that's the focus. If you follow the coverage, you find nearly no analysis of Palestinian society or ideologies. You don't see profiles of armed Palestinian groups, investigations of Palestinian governments, right? What this says is Palestinians are not taken seriously as agents of their own fate. They don't have any agency. It's not their fault. It's just a, it's like a prison riot. They were oppressed. They just broke through the gates and they couldn't help themselves. Right? They're, they're never any kind of responsible moral actor. Right? If you listen to talk radio, you probably have heard, because I've talked about it, I've talked about how it's a, it's a nihilistic death cult that Hamas has produced in Gaza. I don't know to what extent, but it's a very large extent across the entire population because they've controlled multiple generations of children that they have educated in their schools and mosques. And they are preached the same message, that there is no greater glory than to die a martyr while killing Jews. You go right to the head of the line into heaven. And that's what the kids are taught. Their, their, their TV shows broadcast this stuff, right? So... Do you think that that stuff is reported on at a wider level, at a legacy media, mainstream media level, where people who don't listen to conservative talk radio or to uh, or read conservative uh, news publications, do you think that they're aware of that? That the indoctrination is so widespread and deep in that society. Do you think they know that? They sing songs about, about killing Jews. They, they tell stories to little toddlers. They get them all dressed up and do these like fake, um, these fake martyr uh, parades, you know, with the caskets and stuff. They celebrate death. So how do you negotiate with that? Matty Friedman, former uh, AP uh, editor and journalist for like a decade um, in Jerusalem, in Israel, breaking down the problems with journalism covering, a journalist covering the Israel-Palestine news. That's the headline. Number one, he talks about how important is the Israel story. If you look at staffing, it's way out of proportion. They staff it way more than like all of these other places all around the world that have had way higher death tolls over way longer periods or even way shorter periods of time, just higher death tolls. So the overstaffing means an overfocus. And the whole story is always Israel. What's important in the stories and what is not, as deemed so by the reporters and the editors? He says the West has decided that Palestinians should want a state alongside Israel. So that opinion is attributed to them as fact. Though anybody who's spent 
any time with actual Palestinians, understands that things are more complicated. Who they are and what they want is not important. The story mandates that they exist as passive victims of the party that matters, which is Israel. Corruption, for example, is a pressing concern for a lot of Palestinians under the rule of the Palestinian Authority. That's one of the reasons why the PA lost to Hamas. But, he says, when I and another reporter once suggested an article on that subject, we were informed by the bureau chief that Palestinian corruption was, quote, not the story, end quote. Israeli corruption was, and we covered that at length. Israeli actions are analyzed and criticized. Every flaw in Israeli society is aggressively reported. To draw the link with this summer's events, casual observer might think that Hamas's decision in recent years to construct a military infrastructure beneath Gaza's civilian infrastructure would be, you know, kind of newsworthy if only because of what it meant about the way the next conflict would be fought and the cost to innocent people. But that's not the case. The Hamas emplacements were not important in themselves and were therefore ignored. What was important was the Israeli decision to attack them. There's been a lot of discussion about Hamas attempts to intimidate reporters as well. And any veteran of the press corps here knows the intimidation is real. And I saw it in action myself as an editor on the AP news desk. During the 08-09 Gaza fighting, I personally erased a key detail that Hamas fighters were dressed as civilians and being counted as civilians in the death toll because of a threat to our reporter in Gaza. The policy was then and remains now not to inform readers that the story is censored unless the censorship is Israeli. Earlier this month, the AP's Jerusalem News editor reported and submitted a story on Hamas's intimidation of reporters. That story got spiked, has never been published. The fact is Hamas intimidation is largely beside the point, though, because the actions of Palestinians are beside the point. Most reporters in Gaza believe their job is to document violence directed by Israel at Palestinian civilians. That's the Israel story. In addition, reporters are under deadline and often at risk, and a lot of them don't speak the language, and they only have the most tenuous grip on what's actually going on. They're dependent on Palestinian colleagues and fixers who are either in fear of Hamas or support Hamas or both. Reporters don't need Hamas enforcers to shoo them away from facts that muddy the simple story that they have been sent to tell. What else isn't important? 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Let's go to the phone lines, talk to Ilana. Hello, welcome to the program, Ilana. Uh, hi, Tim. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thank you. Uh, related to this, uh, you know, media, and I blame the media and United Nations to spread so many lies against Israel and the Jews and so many wrong facts. As Israeli, Jewish, and American, I really think that there is no nation like Palestinian. They're a proxy for all the Muslim countries just to bash Israel and continue the conflict. We didn't have Palestinian in 67. We didn't have them in 49. We didn't have them in 56. It's a created 
in order to bash Israel and keep the fighting. They may be so-called made peace with Israel, but they don't want to fight because they lost so many times. Mm -hmm. So now they use these people, they support them financially, they support them, you know, with their money, United Nations support all these, you know, thugs, and they want to make equivalent between Israel and terrorist groups, which is not obscene to even think about it. And now what happened, there, there, there is, if you know history, there was never Palestinian people. Show me their country, show me their culture, show me their government, show me their currency, show me the history. They are all come from Egypt, from, uh, you know, Syria, from Lebanon, and now they want to create another Muslim country. Like, we don't have enough. They created Jordan and Syria and Lebanon and Iraq and all these countries around. Israel, and the really, the really, what they want is to get rid of the Jewish state. Yes. Period. There is no conflict with Palestinian. They just don't want Jewish state there, and the whole world. It's not just you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the Arabs. And I'm very, very sad and upset to see that this world is morally corrupted. Yeah, Ilana, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. You are welcome. All right, take care. Uh, call back again. Love to uh, hear from you again. Yeah, it's uh, it's very clear. I I've said this from the beginning. I have moral clarity on what's happening right now. You can talk about all the history and everything else, but right now, very clear. There are a lot of people that uh, have uh, have let their masks slip, you know, or just like pulled them completely off while putting them on in public, but um, espousing the things they espouse. What else is not important, writes Matty Friedman, former AP reporter and editor out of Jerusalem. The fact that Israelis quite recently elected moderate governments that sought reconciliation with the Palestinians and which were undermined by the Palestinians is considered unimportant and rarely ever mentioned in media reports. What else? Skipping ahead. Like I said, this is a very lengthy piece. I'm just giving you a couple of the bullet points. I read through it all and just highlighted the, the, uh, the big points. Many of the people deciding what you will read and see from here view their role not as explanatory, but as political. Coverage is a weapon to be placed at the disposal of the side they like. How is the Israel story framed? It is framed in the same terms that have been used uh, since the early 1990s. The quest for a two-state solution. It is accepted that the conflict is Israeli-Palestinian, meaning that it is a conflict of, uh, taking place on land that Israel controls, which is 0.2% of the Arab world, in which Jews are a minority, or sorry, Jews are a majority and Arabs are a minority. Right? The conflict, though, is more accurately described as Israel-Arab or Jewish-Arab. That is a conflict between 6 million Jews of Israel and 300 million Arabs in surrounding countries. Or maybe Israel Muslim would be more accurate to take into account the enmity of non-Arab states like Iran and Turkey and more broadly a billion Muslims worldwide. This is the conflict that has been playing out in different forms for a century, before Israel even existed, before Israel captured the Palestinian territories of Gaza and the West Bank, and before the term Palestinian was even in use. The Israeli-Palestinian framing allows the Jews, a tiny minority in the Middle East, 
to be depicted as the stronger party. It also includes the implicit assumption that if the Palestinian problem is somehow solved, well, the conflict is over. But no informed person today believes this to be true. I certainly don't. This definition also allows the Israeli settlement project, which I believe is a serious moral and strategic error on Israel's part, to be described not as what it is, which is just one more destructive symptom of the conflict, but rather as the cause of the conflict, and it's not the cause of the conflict. See, a knowledgeable observer of the Middle East cannot avoid the impression that the region is a volcano and that the lava is radical Islam. That's the problem. Radical Islam. An observer might also legitimately frame the story through the lens of minorities in the Middle East, all of which are under intense pressure from Islam. See, when minorities are helpless, their fate is that of the Yazidis, or Christians in northern Iraq. And when they are armed and organized, they can fight back and survive, as is the case of the Jews, and hopefully the Kurds, right? This is what I was saying earlier. Are you strong enough to conquer and hold the, the land that you have? And if you are not, and you are in a majority Muslim country, chances are you're not going to have that land very long. It's why when you look at the populations of these uh, Arab and uh, North African countries, but uh, you know, Iran as well, like there's virtually no religious minorities left in these countries. They all leave or they're, or they're slaughtered. And honestly, that's kind of been Islam's jam for about a thousand or so years, you know? It has. And look, I don't say that like, oh, you know, the, the Catholic Church didn't do the Crusades and all that. There were two parties, by the way. I always want to point that out. It wasn't like the, wasn't like the Christians were fighting nobody, right? They were trying to regain what? They were trying to regain the Holy Lands. From whom? How, did they have the Holy Lands and then lost the Holy Lands? What, what happened there? Because I mean, they kind of like skip forward over the whole first part where somebody else came in and colonized, right? Reporters generally cannot see the Israel story in relation to anything else, though. Instead of describing Israel as one of the villages sitting on the edge of the volcano, they simply describe Israel as the volcano. There's one final part here. Sorry, two final parts, but really one. The old blank screen. For centuries, stateless Jews played the role of a lightning rod for ill will among the majority populations wherever they were. They were a symbol of things that were wrong. Did you want to make the point that greed was bad? Well, Jews are greedy. Cowardice? Jews are cowardly. Communists? Jews are capitalists. Capitalists? In that case, Jews are communists. Moral failure was the essential trait of the Jew. It was their role in Christian tradition, the only reason European society knew or cared about them in the first place. Like many Jews who grew up in the late 20th century in friendly Western cities, he says, I dismissed such ideas as the feverish memories of my grandparents. One thing I have learned, and I'm not alone this summer, is that I was foolish to have done so. Today, people in the West tend to believe the ills of the age are racism, colonialism, and militarism. The world's only Jewish country has done less harm than most countries on earth, and more good. And yet when people went looking for a country that would symbolize the sins of our new post-colonial, post-militaristic, post-ethnic dream world, the country they chose was this one. 
All right, do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out the last piece here from uh maddie friedman former ap editor and reporter out of israel who breaks down how you know the reporters and editors censor their stories because their stories are told from an ideological narrative they have this the focus is israel from staffing to how stories are told to how they censor and edit out information how they choose not to cover stories about Hamas and Palestinians. They rob them of their agency. They treat them as if they uh, are are not responsible actors in this play, that all this stuff is just done to them, and they, they take no actions on their own or of their own accord. And what that tells everybody in the world is a skewed story. When they omit all possible justifications for the Jews' actions and obscure the true face of their enemies. What they are saying to their readers, whether they intend to or not, is that Jews are the worst people on earth. The Jews are a symbol of the evils that civilized people are taught from an early age to abhor. International press coverage has become a morality play starring a familiar villain. This is why whenever I do these stories out of the the war, I always point out how often the legacy media outlets, these reporters and editors, how they sort of gloss over October 7th. They'll say, oh, yeah, after the attack, oh, after, you know, 1,200 people were killed. And there's this, there's this, uh, this soft peddling, if you will, or a, I don't want to say whitewashing, but it is. It's, it's, a, it's a false picture of what's being, of what occurred. And that's intentional. If you were to put the details, and this is why I throw in some of these details as I talk about the story, and I know sometimes that's hard to hear when I, when I throw in some of the atrocities, but I do that because it's important in context. We are seeing what we are seeing now because of the atrocities. No other nation, no other nation on earth would accept what happened to it, what happened to Israel. No other nation would be expected to. Remember when, what was it, a bunch of those uh, terrorists went and stole all of the girls? Uh, was it um, was it in Congo or Sudan? I forget where. Remember, it was during the Obama presidency. And we had all of these Hollywood people with their bring back or bring home our girls, bring back our girls, whatever, you know, with the hashtag. Michelle Obama posed with the little, you know, printout. We've seen none of that from Hollywood. For the babies, the kids, the women. And yes, even the men, we've seen none of that for these Israelis, these Jewish people. Some of them weren't even Jewish. They were just kidnapped. Wrong place, wrong time. 
Understanding what happened in Gaza this summer means understanding Hezbollah in Lebanon, the rise of the Sunni jihadis in Syria and Iraq, and the long tentacles of Iran. It requires figuring out why countries like Egypt and Saudi Arabia now see themselves as closer to Israel than to Hamas. Above all, it requires us to understand what is clear to nearly everyone in the Middle East. The ascendant force in our part of the world is not democracy or modernity. It is rather an empowered strain of Islam that assumes different and sometimes conflicting forms and that is willing to employ extreme violence in a quest to unite the region under its control in order to confront the West. That's what I talked about earlier in the program, the intersectionality. This is why you see these leftist moonbats marching shoulder to shoulder with people if put in charge, right? Or if these leftists were to, you know, queers for Palestine were to go on over to Gaza, they would be strung up, decapitated, bodies dragged through the streets. But that's what intersectionality gets you. It's all about confronting the West. That's the thing they have in common. That's the, that, that's the, uh, the intersection of the two groups. Those who grasp this fact are going to be able to look around and connect the dots. So you got a lot of people that are apparently unable or unwilling to do so. I didn't even get to the piece at Persuasion.com, which, by the way, I highly recommend you read uh, Persuasion.com. They had a piece on the new anti-Semitism by uh, Tomer Persico. Talked about the protocols of uh, the elders of Zion, all of that garbage. Yeah. Anti-Semitism. It's just a mutation of the same thing over and over and over again. All right, that's a wrap for us today. Stick around. Brett Winnable's up next. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.